Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zappi. Woohoo! Monday, May 23rd, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show is all about the Gerber graduates. Oh, it's a motley crew they are. I2Y workers, campaigners, volunteers, Anna Brower, childhood cancer survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma, Susan Moser, Esquire, we're supposed to call her now that she has a law degree. She's a childhood cancer survivor of sacrococcygeal teratoma. I think I got it there. Dana Generelli, she's our human resources coordinator here at I2Y. James Manning, he's a childhood cancer survivor of optic glioma, and he's our broadcast production assistant. You know him, you love him on the Stupid Cancer Show. And kicking it all off in the Survivor Spotlight. I love it. A four-hour ride to get here. Joined us for dinner with her friend Colleen. Rebecca Ward, who's a uterine cancer survivor, a nurse paralegal, and project coordinator of Dancing with Ned, which is a documentary film about our good friends in the band Ned, No Evidence of Disease. Those are good folks. Yep. I think you're blowing the amp. I love it. You're eating the mic a little too much. The mic loves you so much. Yeah? Yeah. I know I'm hungry. Hey. Anyway. As a reminder, <clears throat> this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com. We help young adults fight cancer every single day and are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So, hello, friends, and welcome to yet another fun and exciting romp to the hay on tonight. Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a Stupid Cancer welcome. Is that better, Matthew? Much better. To all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. 
the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed during each broadcast with dozens and dozens of amazing people getting involved, asking questions of our guests, connecting with friends, and getting really, really involved because I said that already and I'm saying it again. I would like to welcome our special in-studio guest, friend of Becky's, the one and only Colleen Rollins is joining us on the couch. Yeah. She's on the couch. You can't see her waving because it's radio, folks, but she's waving. And uh, that's it. All right. Packed house. We love it. 8.05 on the Stupid Cancer Show. I'm going to start announcing the time. You are? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to forget to, but I'm going to start now. Like 1010 wins or News yeah, Radio yeah. 88? Exactly. Should we do traffic and weather on the I'm on the Gowanus Expressway. <laughs> right. There's an X-27 Express bus racing towards me. Please help. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining today. It's raining men. All day. Yeah. Hallelujah. I know. It's good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> How was your week? My week? Your whole week. I can't think that far back. Uh, I can tell you what I How did. How was your hour? <laughs> the past hour since I've been here yeah. preparing for the show? Yes. Fabulous. Good. Thank you. That's all the matters. And good night. Yeah. Um, Lisa Bernard, everyone. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, my weekend, I know you have, you did lots of important things over the weekend that I2Y related, and we'll talk about that. My weekend, I watched the Mets lose two to the Yankees, which is, if you're a Mets fan, you're just, it's like a, no, no, you know what, I, you know what, I quit. <laughs> I'm not, and I'm never coming back. Now there's really going to be cheers. <laughs> um, which is like a stake through the heart. We won the opener, but then we lost the next two. Yeah. Thank you. So I did that over the weekend. I weed whacked my property and I did about 17 loads of laundry. Hey now. Yeah. So that was my weekend. Now you can talk about all the important things that you did over the weekend. Yes. Well, on Friday I had the privilege of keynoting for the American. No, sure, keynoting. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. For the association. Weed whacking, keynoting. Yeah, the association of. Um, That's how it goes. Pediatric hematology and oncology nurses had their um, mid-year annual conference at Baruch University, and I was their uh, guest to keynote. I gave a 90-minute presentation, my longest to date. Is that right? I gave two two PowerPoint presentations. I showed three videos, and I played three songs on the piano. So you razzle-dazzled them. I gave them the Richard Gere, yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay, right. He, he was in the, he the was movie. In the, he yes, was in the movie. Exactly. I, yeah. And then on Saturday, I keynoted again. <laughs> oh, rub it in, why yeah. don't you? <laughs> I did not weed whack this. Well, I, anyway, <laughs> that's another no. show. <laughs> Sage Fawlty. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but I keynoted at the inaugural uh, Stupid Cancer Boot Camp in Buffalo, which is our four, fifth annual uh, conference up in the... Uh, the uh, Lake Effect, Rochester, Wegmans, nook of the country. Wegmans, right. Yes, exactly. And uh-huh. we had about 30 people there. It was really wonderful. Boot camps are so important because they're just supposed to be so incredibly intimate and just so incredibly one-on-one. I want to look everyone in the eye and I want them to be able to see who I am when I talk to them. Um, just really relevant, great stuff. A lot of new people, more Kool-Aid drinking advocates for us. Um, it's not like the army boot camp where you go, you're a maggot. No, no, Give it's me not five quite. More. This is my tumor. There are many <laughs> like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> Arlie Ermey from uh, <laughs> right. Gomer Pyle. So, what was that movie? Um, the uh, he's in like every. No, but what was that? Um, um, that uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yes, thank you, yes, James. Yes, yes. James to the rescue. 
God, that's Gangster a good one, James. It's a very for, good one. For a youngster, that's a great movie. Please. Um, also this weekend. It's a classic. Better than Platoon. I had the, yes, I had the privilege of, um, here, uh, we had the New York City Crawl for Cancer this weekend here in New York, and um, we were the sole beneficiary, so I can only hope to have some great news for us uh, in the coming weeks to let our listeners know how much money was raised. So that's you just go from pub to pub, yeah. and you get so drunk that you're literally crawling but for cancer. But they have like thousands of people do it, so yeah. there's a lot of money. That's and, great. And the next week is the Columbus, Ohio crawl for cancer, and last year we made eighteen thousand dollars. I remember that. that. So that is some that's nice a lot money of coming. It's a good chunk of change coming in. Yep. Um, and uh, just in interesting news here, um, there's a new app for Droid. Yeah. All right, everyone knows Magic 8-Ball, I hope. I'm not dating myself, but Magic 8-Ball is like this black uh, Not an app, sphere. the actual game. The actual game, right, Magic, Magic 8-Ball. It's a sphere with a window, and you ask it questions, and you shake it up, and like one of like nine different answers on the dodecahedron die come up in the window, and it says, maybe yes, maybe no, go to hell, kiss your ass, what are those? Right. Someone combined Magic 8-Ball with RuPaul <laughs> for, as an app for Droid, and it's called Ask a Drag Queen the App. Right. So apparently you ask your phone something, you tap the Drag Queen app, and it tells you, uh-uh-uh, annoying or something like that. You know, yeah. in, in, you tap the Drag Queen? Yes. Is Three. that a euphemism? Yes. <laughs> it's, there are no euphemisms on the show, James. No. That, that, that's no. right, yeah. No. <laughs> All right, but no, I know, I know what the, the single, our crowd is out of control here. Yeah. The let's, single, let's rein it in, kids. I will say the, the single most, Important news yeah. in advance of next Monday yeah. is that I am turning 37. Wait a minute. You're, okay, let's back up for a minute. You didn't explain the connection between the, what the app is. They're giving a portion. Oh, right. Of, oh, that's important, too. That's, 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 that's the most important. We don't 10% just, I mean, of the proceeds from the Ask a Drag Queen app are going to I2Y because it was developed by a young adult survivor that I'm friends with on Facebook. Yeah, there you go. This is actually fabulous. His name is Russell Dreher. Look, you haven't made it till you've been embraced by the drag queens. Yes. We're on the map now. We I, need to get Celine Dion and Bette Midler. As, yeah. uh, and Cher. And Cher as sponsors. And Chaz. Yes, and Chaz, Chaz yeah. Mono. Yes. Um, no, but that's really cool. I think that's awesome. That is great. But I'm, me turning 37 is better. Well, maybe. Yes. Okay. I don't really have... I, I have a Happy Birthday Lisa song we played two weeks I know. ago. But we have to come up with the something. Happy Birthday Matthew song. We, yeah. Um, Matt, we share a birthday. Yes, I know. Fun fact. Sue Moser and I are May 29th. I was born in 1974. She was born in 2004. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> and, es- and Esquire. But you had your 60th high school reunion? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I really don't have to teach. Yes. No. I'm actually, speaking of high schools, I'm going to my high school tomorrow, the Hackley School in Tarrytown, New York where I graduated from back in the day. And uh, I'm going to speak to the senior class. They're celebrating um, 40 years since girls were admitted, and no, I was not in the first class that girls were admitted. (laughs) Um, But I will be going there to celebrate that momentous day and be one of three uh, women featured speaking throughout the day. And I'm going to be speaking all about uh, I2I. Okay, seriously, girls, what is going on the other side of the room here? They're having way they've too much fun. They've lost it. Yeah, they've lost it. And that's our HR director of all things. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know. We got. Yeah. Tonight's show will be interesting. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm going to. So um, I'm giving a big shout out to the Hackley School. I'm going to talk to them all about um, stupid cancer and I2Y. 
and and, and sort of knowing in your body and empowering yourself and being an informed patient and all that good stuff. And anyway. get them to drink the Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. Yep. Anyway, I found this on the web, so... I don't know what this is. Was that the rapture? Um, speaking of the rapture... Sounded like it. It said it was the happy birthday song. <laughs> it sounded this like the rapture. not happy birthday song. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Matthew and Susan. Happy birthday to you. Is that the, that's very nice. Is that the chipmunks? Um, cool. It was some sort of strange animated social nightmare experiment of creatures on YouTube. But it was That's nice harmony. Nice, though. Very yeah. nice harmony. Good yeah. stuff. Very nice stuff. Anyway, so happy birthday to Sue, who we will introduce formally later on the show. <clears throat> and Matthew. But, uh, let's bring Hope out it's our, spectacular. Yes. Uh, and let's bring out our, uh, our, our first, first guest. Well, first of all, we have to make a note. Yeah, Everyone on the show is physically here in the studio. I know. We love that. In a packed house. Packed. It's a good deal. Yep. It's a fabulous deal. Now, um... We have all new by request because after four years, people were tired of my sound cues. Mm-hmm. So we have all new music for sound cues. I hope, it's still, I hope it's still in the 80s. Um, hope we some, have... some of it is in the 80s. All right, let's do this one then because No Evidence of Disease is the name of the band. Mm-hmm. So I could think of no more appropriate intro for Becky then. Okay. You know what I'm the thinking? song is? I, I know it. It's, not, I'm it's not... only in the first line of the song. Wait for it. Bad Medicine, Bon Jovi. Someone get Lisa a cookie. Oh, Maybe a biscuit. Are you going to introduce her or not? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Becky Ward is a nurse paralegal and works for a law firm in the Washington, D.C. area. She was diagnosed with UPSC, a rare aggressive form of uterine cancer, in February of... 2010, she'll tell us about that. After a hysterectomy, six rounds of chemotherapy, and five weeks of pelvic radiation, she is cancer-free. Since her recovery, she's been working as a project advisor and production assistant for Spark Media. That's the film production company that's making a documentary on the rock band, NED, No Evidence of Disease. They've been on the show. They're a band comprised of six gynecologic oncology surgeons from around the country. We're thrilled that she made the trip. With her friend Colleen to be with us tonight, please welcome Becky Ward. Hi, Becky. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. She's eating the mic almost. No, she's doing a good job. She's doing an excellent job. Better than you. And she, <laughs> Much better than me. And she looks better than me, too. She's all night. I wish we had the streaming video tonight. What, because she's wearing makeup and you're not? <laughs> I know, and she has a nice dress on and nice jewelry and nice shoes. <laughs> Yeah, it's radio. You don't have to look nice. No, but she she looks great. But we did have streaming video. You'll have to come back. Wear the exact same outfit. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so tell us your walk us through a little bit of your story. We had some in the intro here, but of your diagnosis. Well, my uh, my mother and grandmother both had ovarian cancer in their mid forties. Right. So um, since I was about thirty, my gynecologist and I were a really great team uh, looking for it. So had yearly pelvic sonograms. I was in a, a research study at Johns Hopkins for about six or seven years doing serial CA-125 levels. Mm-hmm. And 
I had a surveillance sonogram in December of 2009, and we were lucky that there was something that looked borderline suspicious. So I went in for a biopsy in February, and it was diagnosed as uterine cancer. Uh, I had my surgery in March. Uh, I I feel very fortunate, though, because I I know I've heard stories of people on the show who've had doctors who haven't listened to them. Right. You know, ignore their symptoms. And uh, Dr. Elias, my gynecologist, for many years, we we did this together and we watched for it. And we were looking for ovarian cancer, but we found urine. And I feel very, very lucky. Wow. So you were ne- so you were asymptomatic. You really didn't have any symptoms because I was totally, you were just un- right. totally the- asymptomatic. I right. had lost some weight, but I was had other stressors in my life at the time that I attributed it to. But really, I felt great. I I had gone to Nepal in uh, October of 2008, uh, ironically as a it was an ovarian cancer awareness campaign, and I climbed uh, just below base camp of Annapurna One. Wow. And I thought, kind of in the back of my mind, that if I did this, I wouldn't get ovarian cancer. Really? And you know what? I didn't. I got I'm uterine cancer. I'm so going to Nepal because I don't want to get ovarian cancer. <laughs> but, you know, so I was in the best shape of my life. Yeah. I was exercising and doing yoga and eating well. And this was, I, w- I wasn't that surprised. I really um, always knew I would get cancer. I would, thought it would be ovarian. Uh, so I, I cried for about an hour and then really decided to kick butt and really hit it and go see my doctors. I have a great surgeon in, at Mercy Hospital, Neil Rosenstein, and uh, my chemo. A Jewish doctor? Wait a minute. Oh, my God. Let me think about this. Yeah. Wait, so when they did, when you had were diagnosed with UPSC, yes. is that anything like the United States Postal <laughs> Service? Because I looked at that and like... Did they sponsor you? Yeah. It you is, need like a, an ovary stamp or something. The, the weird thing about it is it's, it's uterine papillary serous carcinoma, which normally strikes elderly, obese, African-American women. Which is the complete opposite of anything that has to do with you. I'm a skinny, young, white woman. <laughs> You're a skinny, white chick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, now, is there a it, genetically, but there's no sort of proven genetic connection. No, my family, my mother had BRCA testing, right. and it was negative. It was and, negative. And her doctors have said, yeah, there's some genetic link. They just haven't found it They just it haven't yet. gotten to it yet. Right. right. Yeah. Amazing. So, okay. And you, you have a son, you were telling us before yes. the show. Right. So, and your son is, he just graduated college fairly recently? Last year, yeah. Right, okay. Yes. Well, congrats on being finally out of debt <laughs> and then back in debt again. And he's right. employed, which is shocking. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes. And an artist. Yeah. And an artist. Yeah. Um, is his and name a, Matthew? Is he a Gemini? <laughs> no, he's a Scorpio. Is that October? I guess so. I think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, and having this in the back of your head the whole time, I mean, did you think about sort of the ra- radical, I mean, that must be an amazing, you know, like having surgeries preemptively, or right. which is this a whole other psychological, like, it infects your bodies in other ways and is risky in and of itself. Well, you know, being a nurse, I, I did a lot of research over the years, and the research showed that even having what they call a prophylactic hysterectomy and oophorectomy, you still get it. It ends up being a peritoneal cancer and my peritoneal peritoneal is the lining of the the abdominal cavity okay and unnecessary (laughs) no one needs that (laughs) well i figured if it was going to show up in my ovaries we might as well just watch my ovaries yeah right and because we were being careful with my ovaries we found it in my uterus and uh 
So I heard well, about people like you that actually monitor themselves. Doctors take them seriously. Yeah. There's about one of you in the world. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes. You're it. I, I feel very fortunate. Wow. Yeah. And my, uh, my gynecologist, he just was always watching out for me. Yeah. But what, you know, Then in the fall, after I finished chemo in the fall of 2010, um, well, over the summer when I was on chemo and radiation, I had gotten a clip of this trailer of this documentary. Right called Dancing with Ned, uh, No Evidence of Disease. Part and of which they filmed in our studio here. Right. They did? Yeah. yeah. Um, we can own that. We we, we are we have IP featured rights. in a little... In, we'll love it. Yes, we're looking for huge royalties. Yes. Because, <laughs> yeah, the documentary world is... Yeah. Just, the money just pours in. Oh, yes. yeah. yeah. But I, so, I saw this clip, and it really, really moved me. Yeah. And uh, when I came out of my chemo fog around... October, November, I thought, you know what, I want to get involved with this. This is totally different from anything I've ever done. I mean, I love art and I love film, but I picked up the phone one day and called the Spark Media office and talked uh, to Oliver, um, who's one of their cameramen, for about 45 minutes. And I just said, this is my story. I want to help. What can I do to help? And they took me seriously, and I, they told me about this concert coming up in Portland it was in January of this year and would I like to go and I thought sure <laughs> so it was my first real I've been to Nepal <laughs> what's Portland <laughs> right. but you know with, uh, I my navigation skills really were affected by chemo and I'm thinking can I do this you know travel across the country by myself you know, meeting people I've maybe met for half an that hour that was your chemo brain your navigation skills were uh, off yes it's yeah. still a little rusty I'm but... still taken by this nurse paralegal who worked for a law firm how yes. did that happen well, I, I was a nurse for a long time. It's like I scooped ice cream at, like, the demilitarized zone in Korea. Well, I, I was a nurse, and I just I wanted to use my brain in a different way and did a little research. And unfortunately, there are so many medical malpractice cases in, in the world. I wanted to use my, uh, my skills, and we do uh, mostly defense. We defend hospitals and doctors and hospital com- corporations. Right. And I do a lot of research, uh, which, you know, helped me. I'm one of those patients that intellectualizes everything. (laughs) I found out what I had. Are you Jewish? I'm not sure. Then you're honorary Jewish. (laughs) But, you know, I was on the Internet within an hour looking this up because I had never heard of this before. I mean, I had been a nurse for a million years, and I'd never heard of UPSC and read about it and was scared to death. Um, But, you know, found the best doctor in the area. Uh, That that was interesting because I... uh, called his office up and said, you know, I'd like to see Dr. Rosenstein. And they said, well, Dr. Rosenstein kind of handpicks his patients. Wait, another yeah. Jewish doctor? The same that one. was the same okay. one before. Pay attention, okay. yeah. you big Jew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he gets to decide who he sees and who he doesn't right. see. And if he does want to see you, it might not be for, you know, five or six weeks. Yeah. But, you know, it faxes your pathology, and we'll have him take a look at it. And it was 4 o'clock on a Friday and within 10 minutes of me faxing it, they called me back and said, um, "We want to see. He wants to see you Tuesday morning." I wow. Thought, this is good. I said, "No, this is bad." Oh, yeah. You know, he wanted to see me because yeah. it's such an unusual cancer for somebody my age. I was 47 at the time. Yeah. Wow. So I put, I, I, he did a great job taking care of me. He's got wonderful staff. You have to learn to lie on the radio. You were 27. <laughs> no, well, the, those of us who are over 40. See, Becky and I spoke on the phone, and I said, "You're over 40. You're in. You're in the. You're in the club." Okay. Yep. All right. She's in. But I feel like Lisa I, has sanctioned you in. I yes. want to talk about Ned though, because they were on yes. the show. Yes. 
Um, she was this, talking about Ned, and then and no, then no. you interrupted her. I'm interrupting you to talk <laughs> yeah. about what you already now talked about. Now we're interrupting her again yeah. to go back to talk about. No, but yeah. the this is no. the band of doctors. Yes. GYN oncology yeah. surgeons. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they're all very talented. Yeah. And one and woman who uh, Joni, uh, what's Joni's last name again? Hope. Hope. That's right. Joni Hope, who was in New York. You know, she moved to Alaska. She's the sole. Uh, Oncologic GYN oncology, GYN oncology surgeon in Alaska, the one and only. All right. Mental note: <laughs> Don't move to Alaska for well, reason she, number seven thousand and six. Unless you can go see Joni. Oh, okay. yeah. She's a great doctor. Right. Well, she's a great doctor. She was here at what NYU or something yeah, before yeah. that. Something like sure. that. Somewhere in one of the big yeah. hospitals here. So, so, I, so okay. Ned, Ned is officially going to be the only band in history to ever have two songs played on the stupid cancer show. <laughs> is that right? Yes. Okay. Every artist gets one song. They're okay. getting two. Okay. I want royalties. They're special. Yes. Well, they actually they have a CD. Their second CD is coming out on June 21st. They are going to be in New York next week. Yeah, they're in New York next week. Yeah. May 31st and June 1st, uh, having concerts. At so what's the song they sent us? Uh, Don't Start the Party Without Me. Okay. Oh, Can I tell you a little quick story? Yeah, tell us. So no, 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 no. From what I understand, this is based on, I don't remember which surgeon, but one of their uh, patients who all her girlfriends would go for chemo with her and they'd have be loud and raucous and have fun and laugh. And, and they kept, the nurse says, you know, you have to, you have to be quiet. You know, this is a chemotherapy floor. And, and one of the women said, you know, don't start the party without me. So there's, <laughs> there's a lot of different ways of approaching chemo. I, I like yeah. the party idea. That's great. <laughs> all right. Cue right. it up, my friend. So this is Don't Start the Party by Ned. Yeah. Alrighty. I love it already.
All right. Wow. That was Joni rocking the uh, lead vocals on that. Good stuff there. Yeah. So yep. what's your role with Ned now? You're you're volunteering for them. You're working for them. You're well, I uh, I roadie, did hear, I, well, I, I don't know. Production assistant. Production right. assistant. Yeah. And creative direct not director creative consultant they call me take um, the director title <laughs> but, uh, sorry andrea <laughs> um, but you know I, I went out to portland to help them film and um just held an umbrella over the camera in portland because it rained the whole time yeah, yeah helped out at, at rehearsals it, it i kind of just did whatever anybody asked me to do um the really important thing i want to get across though is that there are so many women's cancers that people don't talk about. Yeah. You know, as a society, we can talk about breasts in public now and even prostates and those kind of things. Right. But women that have you know, uterine cancer, you know, vaginal cancer, vulvar, fallopian tube, you, you just you don't hear you don't about, talk about that. And, and people would come up to me at Whole Foods and say, oh, you know, you're under treatment. You know, it's great. You, you have... You know, did you have breast cancer? And I said, no, I have uterus cancer. And there are other body parts, sir. Right, right. And I, I think it's great that people can talk about breast cancer and prostate cancer, but these silent ones, if women are embarrassed to talk to their doctors, and I, I want to encourage women to develop a good relationship with their gynecologist so that they can feel empowered to discuss these, like, like I was able to. Yeah. There's nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed about, particularly right. for our young adult audience. You know, you have to speak up right? because you have to catch this stuff early and you have to keep on it, as right. you well know. And that's what this film is for. We want to show women um, and teach them uh, how to take control of your bodies and talk to your doctor. And, uh, you know, as you said before, it's really hard to get funding for documentaries nowadays. Yeah. And, um, you know, hopefully people can maybe go to the, the film's website, which is dancingwithned.com. There is an area for, for donations. Uh, I think it's just very, very important. It, I have a funny story. I was going to Portland for the concert, and it was at the Denver airport and decided to get my shoes, my, my boots shined. And I had maybe a number one cut on my head. I mean, my hair has just started growing back. I was pretty bald, but I didn't wear a wig or a scarf very much. And the shoe shine guy is like, hey, where are you going? I said, Portland for a rock concert. Yeah, for uh, GYN cancer. It's like, wow, you know, what did you have? I said, uh, cancer of the uterus, and it just like shut him up. Yeah. And I said, you know what? It's okay. You can say uterus. I said, come on, say uterus. <laughs> he said, uterus. I'm like, good. See, I'm gonna get that guy a cookie. You're cha- you're changing the world one person at a time. Yes. Uterus, uterus, uterus. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Fantastic. That's, that's great. Can I say testicles just for the sake of saying it? <laughs> oh, you know, we miss cervix, too. Okay, cervix. Cervix. Yeah. No, and, I needed and, some testosterone here. <laughs> I'm gravely outnumbered and, tonight. But there are, and cervix, you bring up, everybody, if you're a young woman, I think at 12 now you get the HPV right. vaccine, which they now are finding prevents, help prevent head and neck cancer. I know. Right? Go figure. Yeah. Right. Go Going figure. back to my general theory about it, it ain't about what part of your body gets sick. It's right. about your genes. Right. There you you go. got your big boy jeans on. I got my big boy jeans on. <laughs> what? What the? Are you drinking again? I wish I was, but right. I'm not. No. Well, you're good. You're going to stick around. Yeah. You're on the mic. Uh, you're actually going to go out in the crowd, but you can shout and throw things at us if you have okay. any but as I No, but as I said earlier, showbiz, you got to have sharp elbows. So you can take on one of these. If you got something to say, just nudge them out of Just grab that mic. Well, I am probably the oldest person in the room. That gives you lots. Yeah, Sue of... doesn't weigh much, so you can just toss her. 
<laughs> or whatever. Just take the littlest one. Yeah. Just fling her. Fling her, yeah. <laughs> and uh, James, James, James will probably help you. Yeah. Right, James. Fair enough. Yeah. Thank, yeah. thank you for having me on and letting Becky, me talk Becky, you are about awesome. It. Great to have you on, Becky. And yep. anything with Ned and music, those guys are awesome. And uh, and we love nurses and uh, anybody who's fighting a good fight. I just spoke at a nursing conference. I know. Nurses are. Nurses are you. Nurses make the world go round. <laughs> And it sure. was just National Nurses Week just Yes, it was. Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. And yeah. today is National, what is it, Anna? It's World Turtle Day. Right. So There's a the segue for you. So nurses cannot can possibly compete with World Turtle Day. But congratulations <laughs> on having Well, what week. can? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> All right, Becky Ward, thank Becky you so Ward. much for being with us. All right, well, let's get to the also news here. I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. They're all just for young adults with cancer, and they're all free. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking trips, mountain climbing, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. Is that enough? If you have something coming up that you would like to hear us spread the word about during this part of the show, please email info at stupidcancer.com. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shopping calendar. You know, that, that line is weird, Matthew. We've got to change that. It's the one place where you can find all your social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matthew, what do we have coming up? we got karaoke in New York. we got a boot camp in Chicago. we got happy hours in... Uh and we got a barbecue in Seattle. we got a happy hour in San Diego and another happy hour in North Carolina. Tell us about 2011 OMG. All right. The OMG 2011 Summit may have ended, but we're already gearing up for OMG 2012 in Vegas. I will be at the Palms Hotel and Casino on, two, on Wednesday of this week to negotiate our contract to ensure that OMG 2012 is going to be the most kick-ass, insane cancer event in history. We're going to make history. Visit omg2012.org for more information. Vegas, baby. Babies need a new pair of shoes. Yes, he does. The Stupid Cancer Forums have more than 600 members chatting in discussion groups for patients, survivors, and caregivers, even young adults whose older parents or younger children are sick, plus a forum for boomer parents whose young adult children are sick. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one click through Facebook. It's that easy. All right, want to help but don't know how? Got some friends that give a damn, but you don't know what to tell them? Tell them to join the Stupid Cancer Street Team. It's free, it's easy, win great prizes, build our grassroots efforts, and meet thousands of authentic fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com. Every Tuesday, our partners at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society present YA Connect, a free interactive webcast Supporting young adults affected by all cancers. Check it out, lls.org slash yaconnect. We are pleased to announce our partnership with Cancer and Careers on their first inaugural national conference on work and cancer. Friday, June 17th, right here in New York City. Visit cancerandcareers.org slash conference. Oh, yeah. And as always, be sure to register yourself with Immerman Angels, Johnny Immerman, our partner in one-on-one peer matching at ImmermanAngels.org. And check out the calendar for First Descents, the premier young adult outdoor adventure organization. Visit FirstDescents.com. And that, my friends, is your Stupid Stupid Cancer Cancer News.
All right. All right. Now it gets fun. All right. Oh. Little young MC. Now it gets uh now it gets real. I have to say before we announce these folks. This is the champ for all your fellas. Try to do what those ladies tell us. Get this is the champ for all the Lisa B. We got a uh, a bevy get jealous. Jaggle. Party. Party. Lisa. <laughs> yep. You had your biscuit already. Calm down. <laughs> Poindexter. All right, we have a gaggle, a bevy, a pride, if you would, a litter, a litter of young, I'd say a litter, survivors who were diagnosed as children. They are all bust to move. Senior members of the I'm Too Young for the Cancer Foundation's Volunteer Army. They will be introducing themselves, but I wanted to have a show tonight about late effects because when the doctor says you're cured, go home. That's not the end of the story, and when you're diagnosed at the age of 0, 7, 12, or 14, and you turn 20, 25, 30, the shit don't end. <laughs> the late effects are the gift that keeps on giving. So I wanted to do a show to let the world know, to let our millions of listeners out there over the course of the next 20 years perhaps know that it's not about the cure, it's about quality of life and survivorship. Please welcome to the show Anna Brower, James Manning, Dana Generelli, and Susan Moser Esquire. I was just getting into the music, Matt. I know, I'm so sorry. You broke out the young MC. I broke out the young MC, I did. We'll save it for karaoke. Now, the reason I wanted to do the show tonight literally was because I've spent the last 15 years still dealing with side effects, late effects, deficits, quality of life issues, um, because I didn't die. Can you say stroke? From cancer when I was 21, whether it's... Um, eosinophilia, which is a rare uh, disease of your leukocytes and your esophagus from radiation, whether it's I'm prone to shingles 10 times more than the average person, I have um, uh, xerostomia, like I have about 50 to 60% of the saliva I'm normally supposed to have if I wasn't sick. Um, I have something called um, optical uh, migraines, which is where you go completely, like, practically blind because the veins in your eyes get all messed up and you can't see for 20 minutes. Dang. Yes. I have a panoply. I shall use a fancy SAT word. A panoply of late effects and side effects that I deal with. And not and, to mention you get a wicked case of the hiccups. And I get the, well, I had a stroke. stroke. I had a stroke on January 31st this year, not because I have arthrosclerosis or I have stenosis or I'm having blood pressure problems, because I had cancer when I was 21, and all the radiation they gave me has caused me to have a predisposition for stroke now for no reasons that I can control. So that set me off, the absolute end of the rope for me, that I'm sick and tired of people not understanding that the cure for cancer is so much more than research. It's about what happens to you in the wake of your not dying and the quality of your life for the rest of the time you have on this planet. Amen, brother. No one seems to give a goddamn rat's ass what happens to you when you don't die. They say, you're fine, right? Well, get on with your life. And everyone in the room is nodding, and everyone that I talk to in their audiences when I say that nods. 
When is it going to be the survivor's time to riot and let this country know that we deserve better from them? This is not a stigma, and it is ridiculous to think that just funneling money toward research is actually going to help you once you don't die. And my final thought on this before we get everyone introduced. I was going to say, I'm sorry, guys. I don't, I don't think we actually need guests for the rest of the no, show. My final I thought think Matthew's got it covered. No, my final Good thought on everybody. this, which, which led to my, my Huffington Post piece called The yeah. Moral Imperative for Pediatric mm-hmm. Cancer, is that we spend, yes, we, you can, one can claim that pediatric cancer is underfunded based on the NCI budget, but proportionally to the number of children that get diagnosed, it's like 500% more than cancer research for every other cancer above the age of 18. So of all the... From 18 to 18 to 40. 18 to death. Oh, to death. Yeah. To death, yeah. really? Pediatric cancer is its own thing. Right. And then everyone else gets the same old, everyone gets the old not cancer, pediatric cancer research. Mm-hmm. So my final argument is, is that all this money spent on pediatric cancer research only helps these people to not die. It doesn't help them to live. To live beyond. And I want to make a public call to any corporation and any private family foundation that raises money for pediatric cancer research that some of your money needs to start going to all these kids that grow up, the Gerber graduates, as I call them, or I was called, who don't die and go on to try to live productive lives, but in the wake of them not dying have consequences for that cure. And you have a moral obligation to support them once they turn 19. End of rant. I'm proud to introduce Anna Brower, James Manning, Dana Generelli, Sue Moser, all long-term childhood cancer survivors. Let's start with Anna. Hi, Matt. What's your story? <laughs> well, I just uh, first wanted to say that two weeks ago was my debut on the Stupid Cancer Show after having not been on for several years, and now I'm back again. Yes, yeah. I'm making it yeah. up. Yeah, and, and Lisa's here with me this time, which is special, I was out of but, town for the um, last one, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm a 10-year Hodgkin survivor. Uh, I was diagnosed at 12 years old with stage 4 Hodgkin's, um, and I have now been uh, 10 years in remission. I'm 23. I was treated at the University of Michigan, where I grew up in Ann Arbor, on an experimental uh, protocol um, that was just chemotherapy for me because I uh, reacted well to stage 1, so I did not have radiation. Um, And I am now living in New York, and I am a co-chair for the New York City region of I2I, and I also served as um, the organization's first intern. So that's just a little bit about me. All right, James, you're up. So in 1986, I was diagnosed with an optic glioma. My mother had taken me at the time to a um, general oncolo- excuse me, an ophthalmologist who was not a specialist in pediatrics. He saw something during one of my eye exams and said, I think you need to go to someone that's a specialist. So we went to a neuro-ophthalmologist, and he said, this is a brain tumor. So come to find out, it was an optic glioma, which is a tumor of the optic nerve. Um, The tumor grew a cyst, and the cyst kind of destroyed my pituitary gland. So I finished chemo at about age 7, and uh, knock on wood, have been pretty pretty good sense. Uh, obviously, there are side effects. Um, have no thyroid function. I have to take medication for that. All my hormones are messed up. Um, I found out about three years ago that I have no way to balance my salt intake, so I have to constantly add salt to my diet. But in all honesty, I just expect another diagnosis to drop out of the air you know, any moment now. It's it's just become part of life. Right. And I think that's too common for cancer survivors. Yeah. Ms. Dana. 
Well, hello. Hello, Ms. Human Resources. Hi. So I'm Dana Generelli. I am a 20-year acute lymphoblastic leukemia survivor. Sorry, lymphocytic leukemia survivor. I was treated in New Jersey um, by one of Matt's, or in association with a good friend of Matt's, who is my social worker. And um, I had a really fairly easy treatment. Only a few little diabetes scares, you know, nothing too major, <laughs> nothing that I couldn't get over. But my side effects now are just migraines and and bone pain, and I'm happy to be here. And I like to make Matt's life easier every single day that I'm here. And you do. <laughs> Susan Moser, you're up. Hi. Um, I was Esquire. Esquire, yes. You guys really enjoy that. Because well, you <laughs> we weren't do. Esquire on the last time you were on the That's show. That's true. That's true. I'm now a, a full-blown lawyer. Uh, scary. Look, you should wear like an ascot or something like that. I know that's for men. Next time I yeah. see you, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll don yeah, something ascot like, for yeah. just for you. Okay. She's going to start carrying around in her purse in case she runs into you on the street. Nice. Absolutely. I like that. Obviously, okay. I have to be prepared for Lisa that. at all times. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, my story is I was born with a... Very rare form of cancer. In fact, I'm the only documented case of my particular stage and whatnot. Um, Sweet. Called sacrococcygeal teratoma. Uh, underwent. Yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, underwent several surgeries <laughs> that were not performed previously. Um, underwent chemotherapy, uh, all that fun. And, you know, I'm about to turn 26 on Sunday, which is like a mini miracle. And my day-to-day life is a little different than the normal person's. I wake up and do an enema every morning, and I don't have control over my bowel movement. So at 26, I still have to wear diapers, which is not fun. So, again, Lisa has to go because she has to get up at 3 in the morning um, to take an enema. What? <laughs> You that was Lisa? funny, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I got to uh, bring it full circle when I can. Yeah. No, but you got to catch an early train because... I have to, um, I, yeah, this is the show. I know, in Anna Brower, but I've been here for I've been here for most of the show. Good part of the show. That means you're going to have to have me back again. I know, another, I know. another two weeks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is what it is. Every two weeks now, Anna will be back. Yes. I do have to cut out a little bit early, unfortunately, but um, this, which... Pretty much sucks because this is a great show. This is a great show. This is, All right. This is this is an amazing show. But we can, uh, I can download it. The good news is I can download it like others tomorrow. Yes, you listen can. to it. Well, good luck getting to the train on time. And if you miss it, feel bad. <laughs> I already do. Thank you. Because you could have stayed. I already do. Yeah, it's okay. Okay, guys, have All fun. Bye, right. bye, Lise. All right, so folks, we are we're, we're here talking about again. You heard the theme. The theme is late effects, and what message can the young adult movement articulate more effectively or to whom it should be speaking to let the world know, and I say the world rhetorically, of course, that our needs don't end when you turn 19. And while you are diagnosed at the age of 0, 6, 3, 11, 13, 14, you are coddled by a system that has taken 30 years to perfect itself, and it perfects itself it has, with in terms of uh, in, uh, enrollment in clinical trials, in standards of care, in the way in which they treat patients, the way in which there are subspecialties in pediatrics for nurses and social workers that there are not for young adults. But you age out and you become young adults and thrust into a system that does not understand the fact that you had cancer when you were nine. 
So let's start with uh, Dana. Um, if you feel, feel comfortable, what are some of the um, the issues you've dealt with growing up, a survivor into your twenties, um, and uh, you know, where where does the conversation go from here for folks like you? I think the most important thing that everyone really needs to remember is that a lot of us in this room are first generation survivors. So for us, we don't have someone to turn to. How did you feel when you had? Vic Christine shots? How did you feel when your methotrexate mixed with your IRC? So those are a lot of the things that I deal with, not having anyone to turn to until I came here. And then, you know, I have to deal with the not being able to do things, the aches, the pains, you know, growing up, you know, when you first start dating and you're looking for that love of your life, how do you know when to tell them you had cancer? And I've had this conversation with so many different people. How do you know who to tell? How do you know when to tell? How do you know how to tell them? It's not something, oh, I stubbed my toe and broke my toe. Oh, by the way, I was given chemotherapy. It's the same thing they use to euthanize cats. It's not right. It's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, I mean, it really helped me get into college. I used the cancer card. That was all of my college essays. I right. My, my college essay was about how I wasn't going to use the cancer card <laughs> to get into college. Wow. Oh, yeah. And it worked. Totally played the played the not the card cancer card. Right. Sorry, Dana. <laughs> now, but Dana, you work in human resources, so clearly this must have come up on the job for some of the people who would go to you for issues like this, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I I only go once a year now, and luckily enough, when I went into the workforce and in college, I was only going once a year. So I'm 20 years out now, and I take one day off a year. I don't like any, or I take two days off a year. I take the date that I got sick. I really don't like anyone to bother me. And I take the date of my um, my one-year treatment, or my one-year checkup. That Those two things are the only things that I really have to deal with. But what I've been dealing with lately is um, I work for an international staffing agency, and we had one of our recruiters comment the other day, oh, so-and-so has cancer, and they don't know how to go on their job interview. And they called me, and they were asking me just as a human resources person. I'm like, do you know my story? Right. Do you Hold on, let me send you this link. It's yeah. cleared by our site. Yeah. And I had to talk the person through how to go through the interview. So right. it's really a difficult thing when you go on job interviews and you're trying to tell people, you know, what makes you think you're qualified for this job? Well, I beat cancer. I can do anything I want. But that's not really an appropriate answer. No, it really isn't. You know, but you think in your head that it is. I beat cancer. I right. can. I, I mean, I know you think that every day. You, right. I mean, Anna and I and Sue are going to run the world one day. So. Sure. You know, and it's all because we had cancer. So. so now, James, you and I share the um, the privilege of having something bad in our brain, which oh, always don't you? <laughs> it's just the best. It's the better club, and uh, you know, by having something in your brain. Uh, that opens up a whole other Pandora's box of potential and opportunity and tragedy and long-term whatever. I mean, I, I read a lot of a very short list of the crap that I deal with because my dosage was incredibly experimental. They had no standards when I was diagnosed. Um, I was one of a million patients who get what I got because it is a pediatric tumor, but I was 21. Right. Um, what have you experienced growing up since the age of, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight? Um, did you face growth issues because of the thyroid? Oh, absolutely. Were you absolutely. made fun of? Did you go through the um, whole... 
all of the above. Um, the biggest issue that I dealt with is school was horrible. I mean, I had no ability to concentrate, and I didn't know if it was the chemo, if it was anything that the tumor had affected, if it was something else. There was no way to clearly say this is what this is. When I was diagnosed in 86, um, I would have been entering kindergarten, and there was nobody that could say, when you go into school, these are the educational difficulties you will experience. There was no such thing, and it wasn't until... Gosh, 2007 until Vanderbilt, where I was treated on an outpatient basis, even created a survivorship clinic. Right. So there was no one following me and saying, here's what you can expect. Here are the long-term late effects. How can we help you? There was the the neurosurgeon, but his experience was pretty limited in terms of education. All he did was do the surgery and tell you what you might expect from the surgery scars and the, you know, immediate discomfort from the surgery and being cut open. There was nothing available to me to say, here are the resources you might need. And not only here they are, we're going to help you go through the the paces of getting them hooked into your school, hooked into whatever aspect of your life they need to help you with. Right, and to Dana's point, like we are, all are sort of guinea pigs in a sense, the first generation where you know, the COG protocols and standards of care really took effect in the 80s, in the early 90s. And, um, you know, we are the, the few beneficiaries when survival rates were 30, 40, 50 percent back then, and now they're 80, 95 percent today. Um, but the question is, we have the opportunity, and I'll, I'm going to turn to Sue now because we talk about, you know, the quality of life and living with issues and symptoms and side effects. We have, uh, do we have a moral obligation to change the, the conversation about what cure really means in pediatrics? And, uh, again, my, my final thought on this is that I've heard the phrase frozen in time. These organizations, and I'm talking largely about the family foundations whose children survive or pass away, unfortunately, that are so fixated on the quality of life of the children when they're in treatment, whether they get, you know, better beds in the hospital or the 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 clinic has an art mural on the wall that makes them feel safe or that their the families can be funded reimbursed like a St. Jude where it doesn't cost them any money cuz you shouldn't have to pay if your kid is sick right. um once you're at the door don't let it hit you in the ass exactly the but again like it, this frozen in time moment where yes you could survive and today you do in large part and then once all that money they raise helps you with the ducks on the ceiling and the squishy toys and you're discharged, that money doesn't help you anymore. So, Sue, you're the lawyer. You're matter of fact. You are very dead straight on when you have opinions. You're usually always right. And I'm not saying that kiss your ass, but you actually are. I think you. And, but you, you really are the guinea pig, truly the guinea pig. Yeah. And for what it's worth, you, you truly make the most of the shit you've been dealt. Pun intended. Yes. But why don't you talk us through, you know, how do you deal with the, do you have resentment? Do you have a hostility? Do you have, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I have all of that. I I went through life not really thinking about it um, because this was my life. I didn't know any different. I knew I was different from everybody else. I knew my friends could know when they had to go to the bathroom and I knew that my friends didn't have to get poked and prodded the way that I did. I knew that my friends 
didn't have to do enemas. None of my friends knew what an enema was. Most of my friends to this day have no idea what it is. Um, and a majority of my friends don't even know what I do on a daily basis. And it took me until about two years ago to actually sit up and say, this impacts my life every single day. I grew up sort of ignoring it and sort of saying, well, nobody else is making a big deal out of this, so I shouldn't make a big deal out of this. It's a big fucking deal. Yeah. It impacts my life every day in every single way. I can't go to the beach every time I want to go because I have to wear diapers and I can't put on a bathing suit like the rest of my friends. I can't just grab my wallet and walk out the door for the night. I have to make sure that I have a bag that's big enough to carry as many supplies as I think I'm going to need for the night. I have to budget my money in a very different way, like everybody else here does, than everybody else. Because I have doctor's bills, I have... Diapers are expensive, and insurance doesn't cover them. Right. Um, You know, on the flip side of that, I have the best doctors in the world. I have access, fortunately, to the best doctors in the world. And when something goes wrong, they can fix it for the most part. You know, I'm, I'm not dead I'm I'm 25, I'm a lawyer, I'm doing exactly what I want with my life, but as several of the ladies in this room can attest to, it's hard every day. Right. And I know Dana touched on this, you know, briefly, how do you tell a guy? Right. You know, and with me, I can't wait that long. You know, they have to know pretty early on what they're going to have to deal with. Right. And I've had every reaction in the book. I've had the, oh my God, that's the grossest thing I've ever heard and got up and walked out the door right then and there. And then I've got the guy that's like, oh, I could totally handle this. And he can't handle it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Fun fact, they can't (laughs) handle it. So, yeah. Um, But to your broader point, do I think there's a moral imperative? I I would not take anything away from my doctors and my experiences because I owe them my life. That being said, it's not the easiest life to live. Right. Right. I mean, we're all here. We're all like, yeah, we're making the most of it. Lemon, lemonade from lemons, bullshit, 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 whatever. You know, when we're talking amongst ourselves, and it really is the long-term childhood survivors that are out there, is there honestly a message, though, out there? I mean, the young adult, I don't think there could be a message if there wasn't a young adult movement to begin with because no one would really know that 20, 30-somethings have issues related to cancer, whether they got it in their 20s or 30s or longer, and they're now in their 20s or 30s, do you feel like enough has happened in this country, whether it's because of I2Y or the health care reform or Immigrant Angels or Johnny or Livestrong? No. 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 So can you each comment on what you'd like to see happen? I think, Matt, that, um, you know, your essay that you wrote for Huffington Post and these issues of of long-term survivorship, I think that it's absolutely something that, needs to continue to be brought to light and something that that um, needs to be focused on and something there needs to be more support out there. And I think that it's just, it's not like instead of the pediatric support because I went to an amazing hospital and I had the murals on the wall and I had the art therapy and, you know, I had the people that came, like I had an art therapist and she came into my room when I was inpatient every day and I made I made a scrapbook and like you know while I was sick and that was a thing that I did and I did jewelry and like that was my way of coping while I was impatient and while yes there are so many issues that I have and like I could get on my soapbox and talk about college healthcare for hours and everyone in this room has heard me do it 
And I could tell you about how the way that I found out that I'm infertile at 14 was probably the worst way to ever get that news. And that IBS is a bullshit diagnosis. And that's bullshit. not what I have. intended. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that it's something that needs to happen in addition to the frozen in the moment time of taking care of your child and I with com- cancer. I mean, I come from a little bit different experience because I, you know, I didn't have the in-hospital experience because I was zero and I obviously don't remember anything. And so I grew up going through pediatrics. I was in the pediatric ward at Sloan Kettering until I was 24 years old because they didn't know what the hell to do with me. I right. still go. Yeah. I still go. I mean, I, stu- I still go and I still play with the kids. But right. Um, one of our other, uh, why can't I think? One of our other volunteers, Kelly, actually interns as a nurse at the Cancer Foundation where I was treated, and they still talk about me and how I survived and how I won IV pole races, and I think that that's important. IV pole races. Hey, I hold a record. She's a baller. Yeah, I, really, I know, I know. Junior baller. baller. Oh, junior, junior baller. baller. <laughs> um, I hold a record, and I'm proud of it, and I think that what Anna said is true. You know, we we had the art therapy. We had people there to talk to us, but what we also need to remember is we are the mentors for the next generation. Right. So we need to be the ones that are on top of our game. We need to be the ones that are, I mean, and, and Sue is very open about it. I'm very open about it. Anna's very open about it. You know, we all, and we're all friends. And I think that that's important. We find camaraderie in each other and in our environment, but we can all go out and talk about it to other people. You know, I, I, I mean, I just met a little, a two-year-old who has the same thing I had and, is being treated the same way I was, a little bit differently, but it's by me, and I'm not saying me as a pioneer, even though I'll think that, but by me being part of this movement, I'm able to go talk to her and sit on the floor and play with her and say, it's going to be okay, and she goes, my port hurts. It's okay. It'll be, it'll feel better tomorrow, you know, and things like that, and I don't know about anyone else, but I go and talk to kids because I know what it feels like to have felt that way, and I can tell their parents, no, it's okay, no, they're playing hooky, they don't want to go to school, send them to school, no, they're really probably sick, but it also gives them a sense of empowerment, and I think that that's an important thing when they say, you know, these young kids can see a group of us going out and having a good time, and wow, I can get that way. Well, I'm not looking to take anything away from, believe me, my my argument and I'm not a good arguer, but my, my position is not to... Not get, to take t- away, but to add on to... Yeah, not to take the ducks away from the right. room. You and know, to, I don't want to take the clouds off the walls. Right, you're imploring them to say, in addition to the great strides that you've made in the pediatric world, listen, survivorship rates among pediatric cancer is up astronomically. Right. And the idea is that once these kids survive, they now have to live a life. Yes. And the life that they live should be nothing less than the life of a child who didn't have to survive cancer. Or as close to. As close to. I right. mean, the idea would be that they would be akin to their non-cancer friends. And, you know, Dana talks about how the people in this room are pretty open. Until I came to I2Y, I was not. I, the idea of, of being around people who, you know, I can sit and I can talk about my side effects and they don't grimace, they don't, they ew, they don't brush it off like it's just something, well, everybody's got their stuff and you've just got that. They don't ignore it. They t- 
talk about it with me openly, and I talk about, you know, their stuff with them, and I think that that's really important, and I totally agree with Dana that this community, this young adult community with the long-term survivors in it, we are also part of that moral imperative. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I want to quote, I want to quote this. The uh, Children in the College Group, which is the gold standard of uh, over 300 collaborative pediatric cancer centers in the country, their definition of the word cure is assurance of psychosocial, educational, and occupational reintegration into a successful life. That's what their definition of cure means. So, Matt, I have a question for yes. you. Yes. Have you ever been contacted by a hospital, a survivorship clinic, or any physician to say, Matt, as a young adult advocate, what is it that your community needs? No. Has it ever happened? No, never. That, I, is, that is the largest problem we have, because if no one is listening and no one cares to ask, we are not going to get anywhere. Wait, Sue has a counterpoint. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that, first of all, there is nothing wrong with the community itself putting itself out there. We can't expect... Not at all. Right. We can't expect doctors and whatever to come to us and, and executives to come to us and say, what do you need? We have to go to them and we have to say, listen, we are a wide array, really big community, and this is what the range of things that we need are. We're too big of a community for somebody just to come up to us and say, what do you need? Because what you need and what I need are so vastly different than the hundreds of thousands of other people. On a macro level, I don't think it is. I think if you get down to the fine details, it may differ, but I think for no one in the cancer community in terms of the hospital, the survivorship clinics, to contact an organization that speaks for the young adult community and no, but give she, a rat She's staff. talking about, like, you know, like, regard, like the issues that Dana has and the issues that you have and the issues that I have, the common theme in that is your quality of life. Now, what defines your quality of life is as nebulous as that definition of cure. So it's, it's, it's all just semantics at this point. Right. If we're looking at, like, I can't get a job because I am afraid that this gap in my resume from the age of 22 to 24 isn't going to do that, maybe the same on the same level as, you know, I'm afraid to enter into any meaningful relationship with a, with a opposite sex person because I don't want to have to tell them that I have no uterus because I had a hysterectomy at 14. There are, there are going to be certain things that, yes, we all need, and that's never going to, to speak to James's point. But to speak more to Sue's point, they're not going to come to us and say, we want to hold your hand. How can we help you? They want to see no that No one we're, ever does that. you got to chase. Right. No, it's why I chase Sue most of the time. Right. Um, and I love but it. it's, it's, you know, it's, it, they don't want to do the hand-holding. They want to see a strong group of people with a formulized plan. This is what we need. We need social workers to help us figure out how to survive because, I'm sorry, the 80-year-old that beat leukemia isn't going to feel the same that I did when I had it when but I was I, nine. And I think that in some ways that's happening. I think we're yeah. seeing long-term survivorship clinics pop up all over the country, and they didn't exist. They right. didn't exist yeah. because there wasn't long-term right. survivors. That so they didn't know what the what right. the medium was as, for everyone. Pediatric cancer is its own subculture of pity and guilt and bold but, but we don't want that. Like It's not like this community is sitting there saying, we want our hands to be held. I don't fucking want anybody to hold my hand. Don't touch me. I feel no, offended is, by that. No, no, I'm but I, my, my whole point, uh, like I just take... Take in context, let's just look at the way that pediatric cancer research is marketed to the consumer in this country 
Please. cry for my child yeah. because my child is dying. Yes. Versus, what are you going to put a 23, 24-year-old up there who looks perfectly... Listen, all of us in this room look perfectly healthy. Yes. We don't look sick. Well, let me ask you yeah, that. Yeah, but I take 12 pills a day. I'll put so. this... I will put this to you as a, as, a, as a... I will posit this to you. Would a commercial for St. Jude's... Let's say you all were treated to St. Jude's at nine years old, okay? Would a commercial for St. Jude's highlighting you... These are the products of our, you guys are the fruits of our labor. We cure children's cancer, and they become thriving. Th- That's what the know. Cancer Foundation I got treated at does. That's right. what they, they do. Rather than showing the dying bald kids, show their progress. Right, but they, but, right, but that's what they do. I mean, I, when I was, I volunteered at Make-A-Wish for several years. Right. And I um, had a Make-A-Wish. I came to New York, so I was a wish kid of both Michigan and of New York. Right. And then I volunteered at New York, and so I was a literally a poster child. Right. I was their sick kid. Yeah. They showed my, my wish pictures. Right. And then they showed me right. now as their intern and volunteer. I saw circle. your, like, nine-foot poster. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. And so... Which is much taller than her in real life. Yes. <laughs> Just so everyone... I mean, more and, than life size. And, yeah. yes, I am, I am healthy. Yes. But, like, healthy is relative. I'm healthy because I take pills every day right. to help me be healthy. Right. Yes. I'm healthy because tomorrow I get to go for, you know, the second colonoscopy in just as many months. But right. let me, uh, That's not normal. And I don't Can think I, it's a bad thing that yeah. the Make-A-Wish Foundation used me in that way. But do you guys let it hold you back? And I think that that's something that is no. very different than a lot of people out there. We don't let it hold us back. If somebody told you you wouldn't become a lawyer, Sue, would you have stopped going, you know, not gone to law school? No. No, I was going to be a lawyer. Right, right. exactly. But if somebody told you that, well, you might not be a yeah, lawyer. Yeah, but I've also, I, you know, yes, I've had, I've had people and doctors and, and, and whatnot say no for years. I, and I've always said, well, you know what, screw you. But the point is more that, you know, there aren't a, there aren't people for me. There aren't people who are going to be in my exact situation. But I can turn, like Dana says, to a younger child who may have I now. But whereas you had no one to turn to you when you were well, birth, but right. Like but five but even seven, but eight. even and even today, listen. Even today, I don't have people around me who really understand what I go through on a daily basis. Right. You know, I have friends who even in this community tell me I can't imagine doing what you have to right, do on a daily right. basis. I say the same thing to them, but, you know, it's it's not the easiest thing to hear when even in the community you still feel like right. you're slightly ostracized. Yeah, of course. Anyway, we have about five minutes left, but I just want to just round off this whole point where, you know, would it be nice if there was a message within the young adult community that reinforced not just here's Anna the post child for what's possible, but that comes at a cost. And there was a cost for Anna to have a quality of life because she is a poster child. And what does that look like? What does that funding look like? And is there a message out there that the young adult movement in representing a third of the young adult movement are people like us? One third, over 350,000, this is NCI data from 2010, over 350,000 Americans are under the age of 40, but had cancer under the age of 18. That's a lot of people out there. And I'm willing to bet the morbidity of that population is a lot higher than they, than they lead us to believe. 
because those 350,000 people weren't diagnosed in the last 10 years. They were diagnosed in the last 20 years. So anyway, so my whole point is, and I guess we can get final thoughts as we go around, what can the Young Adult Movement do that it's not already doing to continue to reinforce that there is a population out there within us that deserves better longitudinally from a system that has already made so much progress? I think most importantly we have to remember we're a team. We're here for one common mission, and that's to show pediatric um, cancer patients that we're survivors and we're here for them. And no matter what, we will always be here for them. And I've made so many connections having had cancer and connecting with people whose child, niece, nephew, grandchild just got diagnosed. And I've made lifelong friends here. My friends, my good friends are survivors. They might be in pain at the moment, but they are survivors. James? I think the greatest thing we can do is give a voice to the survivors that don't feel like they have one because it's the ones that do not have the voice that sometimes need to be heard the most. So organizations like I2I and others are so important for that reason. We are the organizations that can take a set of guidelines that will best help our community in certain areas. Obviously, they won't help everything, but we can advocate for the population at large and say these are the needs of the community that have been voiced by the community and signed off by us. Sue? I mean, I I agree with Dana. I think the most important thing we can do is we can look to the generation below us and we could say it is possible to not only survive, but to survive and live a life that you want to live. That's meaningful. Yes. Anna? Um, I think, yeah, I agree with what everybody has said. I think that as we live the example we want to lead um, and as we continue to be in our community um, as as a strong group and we educate um, those who are going through what we went through because it's all about, um, you know, letting there not be another me. Um, and I think that that will just radiate out and as our community um, contains the healthcare professionals and advocates and family members um, that they will learn from us um, and that that will. All right, yes or no question to close the show. Should pediatric cancer foundations fund young adult programs? Without question. Dana? Absolutely. Anna? Yes. Okay, and on that note, we are at the end of our broadcast. I would like to thank our guests. And let's conclude our uh, our sequence here. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo! You've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's tonight's show, our 186th. Broadcast as we crossed 750,000 listens. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer tonight. I'd like to thank our Institute of Guests, Colleen Rollins. I'd like to thank our special spotlight, Rebecca Ward. And I'd like to thank our Institute of Guests, the lovely and talented Anna Brower, Susan Moser, Dana Generelli, and James Manning. Next week's show, Monday, May 30th, I will be 37 years old for the first time called Staying Pretty Hair and Makeup, and our spotlight, Benjamin Rubenstein, a 
two-time adolescent young adult cancer survivor, author of Twice and the blogger of thecancerslayerblog.com, Mia Davis, the organizing director of the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics and the co-leader of the Worker for Safe Market, and Rami Gaffney, young adult survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, celebrity makeup artist, and the creative Rami Beauty Therapy Cosmetics. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Lisa Bernhard, myself, and the whole team here at I2Y, have a great week. Good night, folks.